It's the HBCU Report with Bob Calloway. What's up? Fresh is our turn, baby. Yes, sir. Welcome into another edition of the HBCU Report for Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. I am your host, Rob Calloway. Be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HBCU Report. Also, remember, when we're not here, we're there. There is sportsnewsandbrews.com, your official source for sports, black news, political news, and the latest on your favorite craft beers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, so much has transpired since we last chopped it up on Thursday. No, we were supposed to have the big show on Saturday, but Saturday was my birthday, and I made a last-minute executive decision that there would be no show on Saturday in commemoration of my birthday and also Father's Day. And so and so there's that. Uh, big shouts out to everyone uh, tuning in, uh, coming over from Dr. Kenyatta Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. Really appreciate you guys. Uh, as you all have been tuning in on a regular basis, and I really, really, really appreciate that. Shouts out to the entire crew over there inside the HBCU Sports Lab. A <clears throat> um, couple of things before, because this opening segment is going to be really, really short. Uh, we got a, a great interview coming up in the next segment, and I want to make sure that I have all in the time, all of the time in the world for our next guest, um, Rudy Hubbard. For those of you not familiar with Rudy Hubbard, man, Rudy Hubbard is the only HBCU coach to win an NCAA National Football Championship. He did so back in 1978 with the Florida A&M Rattlers. 
the 12 and one Rattlers defeated University of Massachusetts in the uh, inaugural Division One AA National Football Championship game. And so that was 42 years ago. We haven't had another HBCU reach that level of success in 42 freaking years. That's my life. I'm 40, I turned 42 Saturday. So in my lifetime, we have never had another HBCU team to reach that amount of success. And so uh, Rudy Hubbard, man, he's, on, he's a, on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame class of 2021, along with MEAC Commissioner Dr. Dennis Thomas. And so <clears throat> I'm really looking forward, excuse me, I'm really looking forward uh, to chopping it up with him. Uh, but of course, you know, we got to take a look at some of the things that have been happening since we uh, last chopped it up on Thursday. Um, shouts out to Thomas Lee, big snacks of Jackson State Sunday night. Yeah, man, he won that uh, won that ESPY. Can't stop watching moment. And I'll just ask you again, why can't we stop watching snacks? Why? Why? We've seen so many people hit those shots. Why? I'm just going to let you fill in the blank because I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to let this man have his 60 seconds of fame. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a reason that we can't stop watching. I'll let y'all think about that. <laughs> Definitely think about that. All right. Uh, a couple other things going on. Um, you know, everybody is, um, especially on social media, for those of you that are in some of these HBCU groups on Facebook, um, especially the ones that are geared towards uh, SWAC membership, the SWAC schools. A lot of people in there commenting about, you know, how they want their uh, university to join the SWAC. Uh, Bethune-Cookman actually issued a statement on a potential move. Not sure if it's going to be to the SWAC or to another conference, but, you know, with FAMU moving to the SWAC, there are so many people, man, just like, oh, yeah, well, this school should join the SWAC. My school should join the SWAC. Nah, ain't really that kind of party, man. SWAC ain't for everybody now. SWAC ain't for everybody, you know. So uh, there's that. Then there's the situation that's going on in in college football right now where as these kids are returning to campus, many of them are testing positive for COVID-19. Last week it was Clemson. I think it was 25 uh, members of their football team tested positive for COVID-19. Towards the end of the week, I think it was Friday, we found out the Kansas State had a, a group of players that had also tested positive so many that they actually shut down summer camp for, I think, two weeks. And, you know, now that these high school kids are starting to go back, I'm just a little concerned. I'm a little concerned that maybe we aren't taking this COVID-19 thing as seriously as we should. You know, I know we want sports. I know there's a lot of money tied up in it, but it is the loss of life really worth the almighty dollar. And I'll just leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. So before we chop it up with the legend, Rudy Hubbard, we got to take a look back at 2002 because, of course, this is the official kickoff, the commemoration, the celebration of the year 2002. So uh, let's quickly take a look back at 2002. In pop culture, it was Wednesday, October 30th, 2002 at 7.30 p.m. that an unknown person fatally shot Jason Mizell, also known as Jam Master J, in Americ Boulevard recording studio in Jamaica, Queens. In music, it was March 19th of 2002, the Best of Both Worlds collab between R. Kelly and Jay-Z was released, and CeeLo Green and his Perfect Imperfections, the debut album by CeeLo, was released April 23rd of 2002. At the box office, All About the Benjamins, starring Ice Cube and Mike Epps, was released March 8th. 
8th of 2002 and paid in full starring Wood Harris, Mackay Pfeiffer and Cameron hit theaters October 25th of 2002. And in sports, it was June 21st of 2002 that Lennox Lewis retained his WBC World Heavyweight Championship with an eighth round knockout of Iron Mike Tyson. And that'll do it. That's a look back at 2002. Coming up on the other side, the legend Rudy Hubbard joins the show and we continue our celebration, our commemoration of the year 2002 right here on the HBCU Report. If you missed the HBCU Report with Rob Calloway, here's what you missed. What kind of effects do you think that we're going to see from a revenue standpoint within the, the HBCU realm? Yeah, it's already starting to happen. 70 to 85 percent of the revenue that comes from the NCAA basketball goes to what we refer to as the Power Five conferences, SEC, Big 12, ACC, and you know the rest of them. But that means only 15% goes to the other conferences, including the SWAC and the MEAC. It's my understanding that the SWAC institutions will probably lose about a half million dollars per institution in regards to their basketball money and other NCAA money associated. And if this goes all the way into the fall, you're talking about football money. So now you're talking about half a million to a million dollars that you could possibly lose in the football season. HBCU sports fans who finally have a voice. This is the HBCU Report with Rob Calloway. Was I made for the world? I scream this to you, and I say to the world, nappy then, nappy now, nappy for a bit, knee deep, head over heels in this country. Hey, Bimpo, it don't matter no more, man. While we at the way we at. <laughs> okay. Classic right there, nappy roots featuring Anthony Hamilton. With Poe folks right here on the HBCU Report as we celebrate, commemorate the year 2002 right here all week long on the show. And uh, last week, uh, we had Ken Rashad on uh, HBCUsports.com editor and publisher. And we were talking about the College Football Hall of Fame, the class of 2021. We talked about uh, MEAC commissioner, Dr. Dennis Thomas. But another man that's also on the ballot is uh, a legend in his own right. He is the only HBCU coach to win an NCAA national championship in football, that 78 Rattlers team. You already know where I'm going with this. And so uh, I was able to track down the legend, Rudy Hubbard. And so right now we are being joined by none other than the man, the myth, the legend, Coach Rudy Hubbard. So first of all, Coach, welcome to the HBCU Report, my friend. Hey, man, thank you so much for that intro, man. I, I appreciate it very much. You know, on this show, Coach, I, I've never, ever 
I'm shied away from the fact that I've always had a love affair with fam. You probably, uh, before my inception, my dad is from Florida, from the Kissimmee, uh, St. Cloud area. And, um, growing up, I mean, that's all I knew was, was the orange and green. Uh, my dad's entire family, with the exception of my dad and his youngest sister, all went to FAMU. And so, uh, my uncle Elliot Freeman, he was one of Jake Gaither's players. So, you know, I have this long love affair. Uh, with the um, with the entire uh, university of Florida and them, not just football, but the band as well, because I was a band guy. So let's just talk a little bit, Coach. Okay. I know that you know when when people start talking about the integration of uh, of football, uh, a lot of times you know Sam Cunningham is that is that man that they always mention, Sam Bam Cunningham, who uh, went to USC. But, um, you know, a few years before Sam went to USC, you were doing your thing as a running back at Ohio State. Um, so talk to us about what it was like back in the 60s, you know, being an African-American player at a predominantly white university. Well, you know, it, it was difficult. And, 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 you know, because we really didn't have the representation, just so much of what we're seeing right now. Uh, you know, when people don't understand that they're being racist, you know, it, they can continue and it makes it difficult for the, the recipient or a person like me trying to get things done, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so what would happen is that it would be a few of us most of the time. It really, we were really not that well represented. So you might have a team of 85 to a hundred people, but you might have, you know, 15 black people on the team and uh so consequently you know stuff was going on you can't wear, can't have a mustache and you know can't have a beard back in those days you know those were things that made us feel like men Me, right know? right so uh you know that kind of stuff all the time but you know it, it, it started getting a little better and then you know i don't know if you were going to mention it or cover it but you know, I was able to be the first coach, absolutely, uh, assistant coach absolutely. at Ohio State, and so I was able to talk about some of those things in the staff meetings. And some of them, we got relaxed a little bit, and things started getting a little better. And uh, but but basically, just didn't have the representation that we needed. Well, when you talk about um, not having the representation, all right, you become assistant coach there. Uh, under Coach Hayes, Witty Hayes, the legend. How progressive of a coach was he when you talk about uh, bringing in those African-American players? Well, you know, he, I, I think he was fairly aggressive, fairly. And I, that's why I mentioned that we really didn't have that many each year. Uh, but he but he didn't have a problem, you know what I'm saying, with it. He just went after. We, we had a little different way of, uh, of recruiting. And so... Uh, I was able to change a lot of that, but then some of it I wasn't able to change. You know, we, we, we would have a recruiting meeting and a lot of times there would be a coach responsible for a, a, a territory. And then you would say, uh, I want to get this guy as a running back over here if from Pennsylvania. And, and I might be trying to recruit a, a running back from Ohio. The way we would determine which one we'd go after would be a little bit of the film, but but a shout match would occur. And whoever was sort of the better coach at the time and could shout the loudest (laughs) would normally end up getting that player. Until one time it got really, really nasty, man. And it it really did get racial, you know. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, (laughs) 
when I would, I got ready to recruit Archie Griffin. Mm-hmm. There was a staff meeting there, and we were, and uh, we got to shouting and carrying on. And, and one of the guys said, "I ain't gonna mention his name." Said, "I heard why he he wants to recruit Archie so bad." And the, and Woody said, "Why? Because I heard they were cousins." And man, <laughs> it got bad. <laughs> it got bad. <laughs> It just wasn't good. It wasn't a good team. So we changed the way we decide. We decided that we would, whoever was going to recruit, going to coach the guy, would make the decision on running backs, and the, the defensive uh, tackle coach would make the decision on defense. You know that we had to, out of that meeting came the resolve of, of how we were going to do it. It got better, but it had to have something like that for it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, uh, this is the HBCU Report. Rob Calloway on the line right now with Rudy Hubbard. Um, man, it's, it's just, like I said, it's such an honor and a pleasure. Um, all right, so let's fast forward. You know, you leave Ohio State. Okay. Next on the map, Florida A&M University. Uh, so how did that job come about? <laughs> well, <laughs> what had happened was <laughs> I had uh, – I was good friends with the, with the coach that they had prior to, to my, my coming to Florida A&M. And we actually got uh, at the yearly coaches meetings, um, I had a group of guys uh, we would play poker you know, at night. at the, And so uh, the coach who who was going to be released at Florida A&M, he was, he was there and he ended up being in the poker game. And so make a long story short, he, he lost his money, and I ended up loaning him some money to so that he could, you know, last the rest of the week and everything. And so, in the meantime, Coach Gaither and them had mentioned that they might be interested in me, you know, as as a you know head coach mm-hmm. if if I were interested in coming. So it got to a point where it was getting around April. I hadn't heard from uh, Coach Gaither or anybody. And I hadn't heard from the gentleman who owed me the money. <laughs> so I called down and asked asked for him. They said he wasn't around. So I just casually said, well, what what about the coaching job? You know, you guys said you were going to be interested. I hadn't heard anything. They said, well, you know, we just just about to conclude our interviews for the coach. I said, oh, you, you, you're not going. You guys decided not to let me interview? I said, well, yeah, yo, we can – we can do it you tomorrow if you can come down here. <laughs> what? I said, well, you know, if you can get me down there, I'll come. And that's how it happened. So I went down to do the interview, and uh, they had interviewed everybody else. And and uh, and I tell you, it didn't it didn't take it didn't take more than fifteen minutes after my interview when they came and said that they were going to pick me. Wow. They just wanted me to go talk to coach coach Gaither at his house wow uh, but the committee the committee had selected me and uh coach Gaither and Woody Hayes were good friends because they used to do clinics at each other's school mm-hmm. and uh that was it you know once I talked to coach Gaither you know it was a pretty much done deal well let's say they made the best decision I don't know who else was on that list but I promise you uh I think I think they got the best they got the best candidate um, well, you, you know, let me tell you, you know, one of the things that I, I think that now that's where Woody Hayes was really, really progressive because what he had done, he used to, he used to coach us how to interview oh, okay. in case we got an opportunity for a coaching job. And so 
I felt like when I went in there to interview, you know, I was way ahead of everybody else probably because I don't think anybody else would have would have been getting that kind of coaching. And so, uh, I, I, yeah, I was I took over. I took it didn't take them long to choose. Yeah, it didn't. So the first year, the first year, you know, not exactly, you know, not exactly great, but that was your first right. year there. But after that, you kind of just took off like gangbusters. So um, talk to us about the offense that you were able to put together in fam, because, of course, Florida full of that fast talent, big boys. Um, and, you know, I've been told, you know, just coming up through the ranks that the reason nobody could really stop uh, your offense in the HBC ranks because you kind of modeled things after what you all did at Ohio State. So uh, talk to us briefly about the offense that you were able to put together at FAMU. We we had a we had a power a power kind of offense, uh, and one of the things that uh, I had really got I was a little disenchanted about at Ohio State was that uh, we had won the national championship my first year coaching. And we had guys. That was that was OJ Simpson's senior year. We yeah, beat them out there for the yeah. national championship in the Rose Bowl. But we had guys like John Brockington and Leo Hayden and uh, uh, you know Rex Kern, and we we were loaded. And the next year we should have been undefeated again because those guys we had at Ohio State at that time were just sophomores, and we went undefeated. Well, the next year we went undefeated to the last game against Michigan, and they they upset us. But I wanted to, I wanted to change plays on the line of scrimmage back then, and I went to Coach Hayes and make a long story short, he denied it. You know, it didn't no make audibles. Sense to him. No audibles. No audibles. What? And so nobody was doing it back then. But when I came to Florida and M, the, the the he made me design something that to determine whether he wanted to let us do it or not. It didn't take him five minutes. to to, to turn it down, but it took me about two months to design it. Mm-hmm. And so when I came to Florida and M, I put in that audible system that I had designed. Really nobody knew what we were doing there for a while. And I, I think that had a lot to do with our success, along with the fact that we were, you know, we were doing everything was computerized. Uh, you know, whatever team we were playing, we computerized their offense and we knew what they were going to do on what hash mark, what yard line, all of that. I got that from Ohio State of course. Brought that with me. And uh, but but we were, we were able to based on an eight-man front or a seven-man front, we would change the play on the line and we had it tied in with our audible back then. It didn't have to come from the sideline like, like so many of them do mm-hmm. now. The players were just, the quarterbacks were just equipped with what place we wanted to run. Wow. So let's talk about this uh this national championship. You know, um here we are in twenty twenty and many schools are still chasing the ghost, if you will. You know, uh, we, we've got these MEAC teams, you know, based on the way things are now with the Celebration Bowl, you know, if if, if they're not able to win the MEAC but still plays high enough like a did a couple years ago, then they can still go to the playoffs. And we've seen a we've seen South Carolina State in the playoffs. Uh, even when you start talking about Division Two, we've seen Tuskegee make a run in the playoffs. But nobody has been able to – um, obtain the, the amount of success or that level of success in winning a, a, a real sanctioned national championship, not the black national championship, but a, a, a real NCAA 
national championship. So uh, for you to have done that and for nobody else in the HBCU ranks to have done that since 1978, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I, I felt like we had really had something going. You know, we knew, we knew what we were doing and we had uh, some really, really good smart young men, you know, uh, at quarterback. As a matter of fact, I was telling somebody the other day, our first three quarterbacks, first team, second team, third string quarterback, were all 3.5 students or better. And uh, so I was able to put that auto system in and not even have to worry about it. We, You know, we had the same thing on defense where we had our linebackers uh, that, that could make plays because everything was computerized and they basically could predict what was about to happen mm-hmm. based on the field position. And so, uh, I mean, we had, we had some good players. A lot of times they were not, maybe not, uh, the biggest players, but man, we, we, we were fast. You know, we, we were, we were loaded. We, and I, I tell you, uh, I was just talking about that yesterday. Well, father's day, um, because the year before you talking about in 78 was the the one double a 77 we had gone undefeated, undefeated right in division two yeah and so we felt good about what we were doing and what we had and we ended up being the only undefeated team in the whole country university of texas was undefeated going into the bowl series and they lost their bowl game so we ended up being the only undefeated team in 77 and so we had basically that same team coming back in 78. So uh, we were able to get in. We were the last one to get in as a 1AA team uh, right at the, at the wire before the season began. And uh, after we got down towards the middle of the season, they said we had to beat Grambling to get in and qualify for the playoff. And that was going to be our, our last game. And uh, – so we were able to beat Grambling and, and, and to get in. Uh, felt really good about what we were doing, even coming out of that. But, uh, you know, so that's how it all happened. You know, we had a really good streak going on there from the undefeated team in 77. We rolled right on into 78, you know, with the same, mostly the same players coming back. We lost a game to Tennessee State, State that year in 78. Uh, but... But then we went on and beat Grambling at the end to get into the playoff. Mm-hmm. Now, see, I'm now the big game. Go ahead. The big game. The big game that year, '78, was beating Jackson State. Yeah. Well, in the first game in the playoff. Now, you know, people talk about the championship game against University of Massachusetts. That was a good game, but the real, the real tough game, man, was against Jackson State at Jackson uh, in Mississippi and we had to I mean they were loaded they were running the wishbone at the time but boy they had some great running backs played great defense they had an awesome nose guard that we had difficulty blocking but they were tough Jackson State was the team to beat Absolutely. This is the HBCU Report. Rob Calloway on the line right now with Rudy Hubbard, Coach Rudy Hubbard, 
the only HBCU coach to win an NCAA National Football Championship. Uh, coach, hold the line for me really quick because uh, you just mentioned an, a key name, Jackson State, and that's where we're going next. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend that the HBCU Report is live three days a week. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HBCU Report. When we're not here, we're there. There is sportsnewsandbrews.com, and we'll be right back after these words. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. <laughs> the dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. HBCU sports fans, you finally have a voice. The HBCU experience lives here. This is the HBCU Report with Rob Calloway. So many things I'm going through. So much that I want to do. It's starting to become so clear to me. Tomorrow ain't really guaranteed. So many days I thought of you. It's about time you knew the truth. Got to act quickly, you and I. Sure did bless us with some great music. That's my girl right there. A. Marie, why don't we fall in love? Man, I can remember the first time I heard this song. I was like, oh my God, this is such a beautiful song. Me and A. Marie should fall in love. And lo and behold, years later, now we didn't fall in love, but years later, uh, she came to the radio station to promote, I think that's when she was doing one thing. I forget the name of the song she was doing, but man, I got a chance to actually sit down with her up close and personal and wow we wow. Man, that is one phenomenal woman. <laughs> HBCU Report, Rob Calloway, hanging out with you on the line right now with the only HBCU football coach to win an NCAA football championship, talking about the legend, Rudy Hubbard. And coach, before we went to break, you mentioned Jackson State, and it's funny that you even went there because here we are, coach, in 2020, and Florida A&M is uh, leaving the MEAC in favor of the SWAC. Um, and, you know, and a, a lot of people have been saying it's good for fam because a lot of fam's natural rivalries are in the SWAC, and you just brought it up, you know, Jackson State, Alabama State, and then, you know, you know the, the, the parallels between Grambling and fam you – you know, they're always running neck and neck because they're 
arguably the two biggest brands in HBCUs. When you, you know, Grambling, yes. you know, yes. and, and Eddie Robinson, fam, you and, and Jake Gaither, and you and, and, you know, Billy Joe and, and the likes. And so, um, what are your thoughts? You know, because you were in FAMU when you all, like I said, you all left the SIAC, went, um, you know, moved up. And and then, of course, that was the, the whole we're going to Division One situation. I mean, so uh, seeing what Florida a is doing right now, uh, is it surprising to you that they're actually moving over to the SWAT? It is not. It is not. And I think it's a good move. I don't know as much about it as I probably would if I were coaching but um, I'm just assuming that, the, you know, the powers to be know what they're doing. But personally, I think it's a good move because just like you said, I think branding is is so important. You know, and when you look at Florida A&M and what they bring to the table each and every year, uh, not it's not just the football team, but it's the whole university mm-hmm. and then that marching 100 <laughs> all added up together, man. And then you look at Grambling and what they've been able to, uh, maintain. They lost a little bit of it lately, but but they're coming right back now. I see. And then you know Jackson State Southern. I mean you know it's a powerhouse. It's a powerhouse uh, league. And so I think that's where Florida A and M needs to be. I think we got an outstanding coach right now. Oh yeah. And, uh, uh, for what he's doing, for what he's doing, I think he needs to be able to get the recognition for being the kind of coach he is, and I think he'll get better recognition for having the program he's building at, uh, you know, in the, in the SWAC. Yep, absolutely. So, Coach, the main reason that I even call you, man, is because you are on you're, – you're a candidate for the College Football Hall of Fame, which, I, which is the biggest honor when you start talking about, you know, being a collegiate player, being a, a coach. Um, what, what were your thoughts when you got the phone call that you were a candidate? Well, I, I really didn't get the phone call, to be honest with you, um, which is disturbing. That's why I wanted to kind of talk with you about it, because what what happens, Rob, is that every year, once you've won a national championship, you're automatically on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn this myself. but it, So every year, I'm going to be on the ballot. And the first year... Um, and, and I'm on the ballot for what I've done at, at Florida A&M. Yeah, that, they don't mention anything about Ohio State. You have to coach a number of a certain number of years to, to, to qualify for the ballot. But but the point is is that my first year, it was the people from Ohio State that that told me I was on it. I wasn't still coaching at Florida A&M, but but you know my people at Florida A&M didn't even know it. And so what's happened is the same thing happened this year. Uh, it was actually my daughter who went to Grambling who sent me the, <laughs> sent me the article <laughs> just the other day. I've not crazy. talked with anybody at Florida A&M about, uh, you know, about having, being back on the ballot. And they've not talked to me. But see, what's happened is we've got all new people. Right. Uh, we got a new SI, a new, uh, sports information director mm-hmm. we got a new athletic director and relatively relatively new president and so I, I don't think uh they're as in tune with all of that as maybe i would like for them to be i, I did uh, i got a letter from uh, uh my oldest son sent me uh, some information from i'm from youngstown ohio mm-hmm. area hubbard ohio and he sent me 
an article from the Youngstown Vindicator where they had made note of it. So um, I, I'm not hearing a whole lot from Florida and them people. That's man, the point. Hey, man, we gonna get, think, I'm going to get them on the phone. I, I think for me to get over, I got to be – I got to – I mean, I got to get some kind of push from the school. Florida and them people or mm-hmm. the MEAC mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to really get in. Because the article that my son sent me, talked about some of the other people who were on the ballot that I would be competing against. And uh, I think I would have a good case. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do, man. And you know what? But we're going to go on that campaign, man. Because, you know, here's the thing, Coach. And it really sucks, man. You know, when we started talking about HBCUs and how rich the tradition is, you know, when you look at that Hall of Fame, year in and year out, you just seeing HBCU products just going into the the I'm talking about the national the the football Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You know, we see right. these guys going in left and right, left and right, and everybody's like, "Oh, what school is that?" You know, and I think um, here recently, the the biggest travesty that we witnessed is the fact that Ken Riley did not make it into the Hall of Fame before he you know before he passed away a couple of weeks ago. And right. the thing about Ken Riley is, while a lot of young people don't know, Ken Riley's stats are still top five in the National Football League when you talk about interceptions. And, and you know, top five. And if you get, if you had 65 interceptions in this NFL, you, you automatically go into Canton. And so... No question. Yeah, no so, question. So I feel like it's still a certain amount of uh, of credit that our guys are not receiving. And, it, I mean, it's a travesty. I agree totally, totally agree with that. And but I think we just got to do a better job, man. I think we gotta we gotta push our own, you know, push our own people, man, in our own schools and our own conferences, uh, because that's where we're falling short. We're, we're just not doing it. Like right now, I I've been wanting to, I've been saying I'm gonna call up there to the athletic director and the sports information guy up there. Uh, for the last couple of days, because I just got the information myself the other day from my daughter, and uh, but I, I hadn't done it yet. That, that's what I was referring to. When you said, yeah, when you said you need to talk. speak it into existence, <laughs> yeah. I was I kind of laughed, man, because you know it's a little more than that. You right. know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. These other guys are getting that push. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we need to get the push from our schools that they're getting. And in most cases, we gonna beat them because I don't think anybody else on that on that list right now has won a national championship. And coach, and the thing and the thing about it is, is is what you've done is that the fact that no other HBCU has won a national champion, a sanctioned national championship. You know that in itself, and the fact that 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 happened forty two years ago, right? Forty two years yeah, ago. Yeah. You know, dude, you should have been in. They're like, and, and so at this point, I'm just saying. And so at this point, yeah, we got to make that that push. We got to talk. Yeah, I got to call Courtney. Yeah, I, oh man, we got to we got to we got to get you in there, man. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. It, well, I, I, you know, be I, I just was a little upset about it, and I just said I'm not gonna let it bother me. But here, here recently, <clears throat> this time here, it did kind of get to me, and that because I started thinking, well, maybe I should be thinking just about me, you know. Uh, because I think it really would be it would bode well for the conference and uh, and Florida A and M and and HBCUs all the way around. It would. I mean, it because back then, back then, uh, University of Massachusetts 
was really considered kind of big boys. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They were not Ohio State or nothing like that or Southern Cal or nothing like that. But compared to us, you know, they, they, they didn't expect for us to go in there and beat University of Massachusetts. But that's why I emphasize the better game was between us and Jackson State. I mean, because we just went in there and out physical University of Massachusetts. <laughs> but uh, but that was a big accomplishment is my point. Yeah, I'm with you. And so uh, I think if people really understood the history of how all of that thing happened, they'd probably appreciate it a lot more. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, let me ask you this, man. What you doing in retirement? What you doing now? Well, I'm I'm doing a I'm doing a little network marketing, uh, something that I can do from home, and uh, trying to stay healthy, man. You know, trying to stay out of the way. I know that's right. <laughs> stay and, out uh, the way. <laughs> seventy four years old right now, but I I'm a, I'm, a, I'm I feel good at seventy four. You know, ain't nobody got to help me around. I don't need no canes and ain't taking no medication. I just try to be healthy, man. Absolutely, man. Well, look, I, I appreciate you uh, checking in with me. Um, I'm gonna make sure now that I, I, you know, now that I can reach out to you, I make sure I stay in contact with you, man. Um, and and we gonna do all we can on my end, you know. I'm gonna reach out to well, who me, I can reach me, out let to. Let me let me tell you, man. Uh, so many times, you know, we can sit around and complain, but uh, uh, based on what I, what we've been talking about today, I appreciate you because, like I said, it's first time somebody, you know, I was just glad to hear. Uh, you know, somebody get ready to recognize this thing, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I, I do. think it needs to be recognized. So I, I applaud you, my brother, and yeah. I, I appreciate you for calling me and 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 even talking about it. Absolutely, man. Coach Rudy Hubbard, the legend, the only <laughs> HBCU coach to win a national championship, ladies and gentlemen. Coach Hubbard, thank you so much for for joining us on the show. And like I said, man, we'll definitely be in contact on a regular basis. Okay, let's do it, man. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. Great stuff right there from the coach, the legend, Rudy Hubbard, the only HBCU coach to win an NCAA National Football Championship. He did it with those 78 Rattlers, and uh, people have been chasing his ghost for 42 years. Unfreaking believable. And what's even more unbelievable is the fact that he's not already in the College Football Hall of Fame just with the uh, amount of success or the level of success that he had at uh, Florida A&M. And so, man, what an honor. I think that about do it. We about to shut the show down. We had Rudy Hubbard on. There's no need to do another damn show. I'm playing. <laughs> but, hey, I really – hey, I, I surprised myself with this. Big shouts out to the uh, the staff over at, at FAMU Athletics, man, for actually getting me in contact with the, uh, with the legend, man. I, I really, really, really do appreciate that. I, man, more than you know. More than you know. All right, so, crack staff, we good? Because I'm about, man, I'm ready to get up out of here after this. We good? All right. So if all hearts and minds are clear, that about do it for another edition of the HBC Report. Well, we had a good one tonight as we kicked off uh, the celebration, our commemoration of the year 2002. And then what more can I say? The legend. Yeah, man. Yeah. Don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend that the HBCU Report is live three days a week, uh, Tuesday and Thursday, right here on The Mothership. Saturday, we're over on XSquadRadio.com for the big show featuring DJ Jelly with the halftime mix. So be sure to spread the word and let everybody know that uh, it's definitely going down right here on the HBCU Report. So, um, again, I'd like to thank our guest. Rudy Hubbard, the legend, and of course you, the listener, because without, because y'all legendary too. 
the li- listeners, y'all are legendary too. In my book, y'all are legendary. So, um, you know, without you, there would be no HBCU report. So uh, until Thursday at seven o'clock, just remember tomorrow's not primus. So we've got to be the best version of ourselves every damn day. This is the HBCU report. I am Rob Calloway. You guys have a great night and an even better Wednesday hump day. And I'll see you Thursday night. This is the HBCU Report. Go. It's the HBCU Report with Bob Calloway.